part of why I teach is for that human connection. It's to be able to sit in a circle with a group of people and like give them space and give them my attention and let them have whatever emotional, whatever emotions need to come out. And I can't do that (laughs) online. You're listening to Parallel Careers, where writers who also teach share the big ideas and practical tips that they take into the classroom. My name is Francine Cunningham, and I am an Indigenous writer, a visual artist, and educator. And I am originally from Calgary, Alberta, but I've been living in Vancouver for many, many years. I have my master's degree in creative writing from the University of British Columbia. And I've actually been teaching for over, I would say at this point, like 15 years now. So I mainly work with youth. And I started off working with urban youth, and I work a lot with Indigenous youth or youth who maybe come from other cultural groups who sort of felt disconnected from their own culture. And so I work with a lot of youth who were almost scared to identify like who they were, like they just felt like they wouldn't be accepted. Uh, And especially when it came to like urban Indigenous youth a lot of them felt really disconnected from their communities because they didn't live there. Maybe they'd never lived there. They didn't speak their language. And that was something that I could really connect with because that's how I grew up. I look white. So I have like a lot of white privilege and I grew up with that. And, but I didn't ever really know how to name that growing up. I didn't know what that was and I didn't know how to talk about it. Just growing up with my mom who did not look like me And she experienced so much racism and I had to watch that and I didn't really understand it. And then finally being able to talk about it was just so like releasing for me. And so when I sit around and talk to youth and they feel that way, it just really made me want to make this something that I do as a career. Like it just really made me want to like sit down with more youth across the country and be like, yeah, it's okay to have these feelings. And that for these youth that I work with, I just always want them to know like their words do matter. Like they matter a lot. And recently I've sort of branched off into writing with adults. (laughs) And a lot of it I find is just me giving people permission in a way to write their own stories or to even, or permission to take the time out of their life to write. And I find that a lot for adults, which is a very interesting thing is that a lot of them just feel so relieved that I'm like, no, it's okay if you want to like paint for 20 minutes a day. It's okay. (laughs) You can do that. (laughs) When I sit down with adults, they're just so hesitant or scared to even like put a line on a piece of paper. And and then I go into a class with kindergartners who are just paint everywhere, right? And it's just such a different freedom. And I think part of it is because we give kindergartners paint every day. But with adults, like how often do you have another adult telling you what to do or to like giving you the stuff or like the freedom to do that. You don't, you're in charge of yourself. So I really think of my workshops as like really special times. If maybe that's the only time in that adult's life that they will ever try to write something brand new. And it could be, and I'm very cognizant of that. So I always try and make it really special and really meditative, hopefully something that they can carry with them forever. On identity, origin of the designation. I hadn't heard the term white passing until recently. It wasn't something I grew up with, white passing. Said like bad words, strung together to hurt, 
to designate, to demarcate. Like I should be something other than white. Like I should have skin other than what I have. Like I was called white buffalo growing up, a difference in the lineup of cousins. Marked, but not known why. Mixed blood, Métis, half-breed, hybrid, offers her Scottish, Indian, Steinhauer, part of the land, Aboriginal, Cunningham, quantifiable, Belgian, a Bill C, Indigenous, Cree, Callahazen, urban, non-speaker, prairie dweller, native status card holder. The buck stops with me. My mom always said that to my sisters and me growing up. The buck stops with me, as if to say, you're not Indian in the government's eyes. You're not Indian in the people's eyes. You are not. Indian. But then why do I hear Cree in my dreams? My first book of poetry is called On Me, and it came out with Caitlin Press in 2019. I remember the exact moment I conceptualized it. I was sitting on the city transit looking out the window, and I was composing work in my brain, thinking about this poem about like, oh, I'm going to write a poem about my auntie and well, what do I think about my auntie and like the big booming laughter? And I was like, well, that's all you need, right? Like, that's all I need is just this like two line like that. And then I was like, well, if I think about my auntie, then I have to think about my uncles. And then I have that one poem about like my uncle. It's just the sound. It's just like, it's just an S line. So from there, I was like, both like my aunties and my uncles both made me who I am. Like they had so much influence in my life. And then I'm like, and then all my family did. And so it really just came to this, oh, it's like an encyclopedia of who I am. All these different moments, they created who I am. For me, poetry is really where my heart lives. And the reason why these poems are maybe such short emotional bursts is because that's how like my heart functions. I definitely know I'm not like a super technical poet. I'm not one of like a structural form poet. My poetry is just me like heart speaking and that's it. And that's all I want it to be. And that's all it needs to be. Oral tradition, uh, in terms of storytelling, is, for me, anyhow, is sitting at the kitchen table listening to my cousin tell me stories and just being, like, really patient with it and just letting it happen. And that's just how I grew up, you know? And I think everybody, even if they maybe don't recognize that they come from an oral traditional um, culture, which I think most are, we just maybe just don't recognize it anymore, but... It really did come from the idea of just sitting around and listening to people tell their own stories. And so, and that's what is like your own story. It's like your, your own heart. It's your own emotion. It's your own experience. On identity or the other mixed blood, half breed urban Indians. Our worth is not derived from where we were not raised. Knowing cement streets is not an evil thing. Having never set foot on the reserves that our mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers came from does not make us less than. Having skin that isn't what it's supposed to look like does not make you unworthy. Having memory away from the land does not make you unconnected. Not having your ancestral language fill your mouth does not mean you cannot speak. Recognize that no one can take away all that you are, whether you have a little plastic card or not. I work with too many youth who are beaten down, broken by their own people, by the rest of Canada, inter hatred inside of hatred, but these youth do not deserve to feel so alone. I grew up feeling in between, not knowing where I belong, not belonging anywhere, skin unlike my mother's, English instead of Cree, scared to go to the land where my people came from, 
unaccepted inside and out, tradition, ceremony, words that are spoken cavalierly, for those of us raised away, our tradition is our lived family. So when it comes to who I write for and who I encourage students to write for, I would say that yes and no, I write for a specific audience. This project on me, I wrote for a specific audience. I wrote it for Indigenous youth. Obviously, I'm glad the whole world or everyone can enjoy it, but I really did write it for them. And they're the audience that I care most about that's getting something from it. And then when it comes to my students, uh, I pretty much encourage them just to write for themselves and for whatever they need to feel. And then say, hopefully people get something out of it. If you want to share it, maybe you don't. Maybe you're writing this just for yourself. And, and especially I feel like when it comes to community work and kids maybe sometimes want to share the stories that they heard growing up or stories maybe they heard in ceremony. And I think one of my roles is to counsel them on, hey, I think it's really great. You want to share that story and you want to write that story, but maybe write it just for your community. There's certain stories that shouldn't come out of community. And and I love having those conversations with them and being like, why don't you invite your parents or your cook them or whoever into the thing? And maybe we can talk about it all together about like why it's important to, to keep things in your community. And I also believe that as individual writers, it's so important that we keep stories for ourselves because when, when the nights grow dim and we're all alone, it's nice to have memories that you haven't shared with the entire world because you lose something when you do that. Uh, and especially if you're selling them, you lose something a little bit more. So a practice that I do have, I don't even know, I don't even have a word for it, but I'd like to go into the forest and <laughs> I like to just sit for a long time in one spot. The first time I did this, it was actually, it was at the BAM Center. I was just feeling really frustrated or something with what I was doing. And so usually it's like, oh, got to be productive, got to be productive, got to take my notebook into the forest and write, you know, got to describe everything that's around me got to be productive and I was like no I'm not going to take a notebook or a pen I'm not going to take my phone I'm not going to take anything that would allow me to write so I went out and I found the spot and I just sat down and I just sat there for like I don't even know it was like three hours maybe more and it was so crazy because at like the beginning I thought I saw everything but by the end I looked down and there was like flowers at my knee and I looked up and there was a legit gigantic spider web. And then there was a crow sitting, sitting and watching me. Like, I was like, how long has he been there? And it just really just made me realize it at how much our brain literally filters out because it's not relevant to like, I don't know, our productivity or like what we're trying to do in that moment. And then I found like when I was doing that, that I just started talking out loud and just composing, composing work out loud. And it was so freeing. I can't tell you how freeing it was to know that I would never write these words down, that they would never be used for anything. On grief, built up. When I took apart the shower head, I found the body of a beetle. Its small legs were stuck in the gaps of the mesh, the body slick, covered in brown slime. I thought of the shower I'd taken that morning, the feel of the water as it lapped at my toes, as the drain, clogged with hair, let the water fill up. I thought of the sigh of pleasure I let out, as the heat let me forget, for a moment, the rusty brown dirt, the box that held you, the darkness of that hole. I pried the body out with a pair of tweezers, hovered over the toilet bowl, but felt sadness. 
lying on the linoleum, among the cobwebs of stray hair and dust, the disappearing body of the beetle beside me, I thought of you again, without the heat of the shower, without the urge to forget, I thought of you, your disappearing body, and felt my grief. This exercise is called Words Matter, and it's something that I go through with any students that I ever work with. I think it's really important when you use your words with wisdom and with intention that you are putting something really special into the world. And if you're maybe not thinking about what you're saying or what you're writing or what you're putting out into the world, you don't, you don't know the consequences that it's having. And so when I think about poetry, I think one of the powers of poetry is that poetry allows your reader or your listener to feel something. If you use the words that are inside of you in this really intentional way, someone will feel something. And the only way that you can really change someone is by getting them to feel something. And so when I come at a piece of writing, I always stop and I ask myself five questions. What am I standing up for? What am I standing against? What do I believe in? What do I hope for? And what am I staying silent about? So for me, I would say the biggest one that I'm always so scared to tackle is what am I staying silent about? And I can almost guarantee you, if you can answer that question honestly with yourself, you are going to write something incredible. As an example, I have a poem that challenged me to do all of these things for my book. I'm going to read it. And you're going to see all of those questions. So this poem's on grief, and it's called Hospital Visits. My mother never had a chance to be white passing. She was always known by the brown in her skin, the cream in her features, what strangers thought she was never known for the unseen qualities, the details, her faith, her garden lush in summer, her laughter that burst through spaces. What was seen was beyond her control, people's perceptions, what they thought they knew. When I was a teenager, we moved to a small town in the north. It was during the Oka crisis. Protests strung along the country. My mom, scared to go outside. These people will think I'm one of them the bad Indians, the protesting Indians. She was afraid, see, of getting insults hurled at her, beaten up, in a new place with faces that didn't know her details, that only knew the color of her skin. When she got sick, really, really sick, she went to the hospital, and they didn't see the details then either. So used to fixing up the problem brown people, they didn't see the real her, so they sent her away, and so she came back, again and again and again, and they always sent her away, pneumonia. That's what they called her lung cancer until she couldn't breathe anymore, until it was stage four and in her back and brain, because by then they couldn't deny her anymore. They couldn't see her as a drunk Indian, someone to be forgotten, because they knew then. It was the tumor in her brain, not her skin color, that was the problem. But even then, when they knew, they wouldn't give her morphine for the pain, still convinced she was her skin color and their perceptions. She had to fight for relief, 
She had to fight for them to see the details. Never mind my mom never drank, didn't smoke, didn't do drugs, hardly ever swore, was a Christian. None of those details mattered. And after the first stirrings of pain in her chest 12 months before, she was gone. So that poem is sort of an example of like what I'm talking about, speaking up for something, speaking up for what I believe in, and for sure what I was staying silent about. And that was just like my rage at the like uh, medical system and of just like the systemic racism and just a lot of emotions and feelings that I had. And, and I really like thought about these questions when I was writing that poem. I think about these questions all the time, all, every day, and it really informs my writing. You've been listening to Parallel Careers, which is produced by myself, Claire Tayson, in partnership with the New Quarterly Literary Magazine. Aaron McIndoe Sproul is our technical producer and story editor. Financial and in-kind support was provided by the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund, St. Jerome's University, and the Government of Canada. The music you heard on this episode was composed by Amadeo Ventura. You can hear more of his music at amadeoventura.weebly.com. Visit tnq.ca slash parallel for more information on Francine's work, including her collection On Me. There you can also listen to outtakes from this episode and check out more teaching and writing tips. Thanks for listening.